Shane. You always had a situation in a big way, man. express myself sometimes when I need to be properly different. Fuck. Good evening and welcome to... It's not recording, to... <laughs> It is you. It's sorry, it's recording. It's been, Absolute <laughs> retardation. Right. Don't I was checking that. Uh... I deserve some of that in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Hello, good evening and welcome to episode four of The Lockdown. I would like to introduce tonight's guest, Dr. Mark Chen, to the show. Mark is a chartered psychologist and senior lecturer in sports and exercise psychology at Teesside University. Uh, a little known fact about Mark is that he is actually uh, one of UK's uh, MMA pioneers, having had his first fight in 2002 and holding wins over UFC veteran Bill, Billy Harris and UK MMA champ Louise Toster. Um, uh, he's definitely a very interesting guest to have on the show. Uh, welcome, Mark, and how are you? I'm fine, thanks, Dave. Good to be talking to you again. It's great to be talking to you. Um, yeah. Just a little bit of background on Mark and I. We um, uh, did a lot of training uh, a long, long time ago, decades ago, underneath a chicken shop um, oh, yeah. with sewage underneath the mats and... Uh, wooden swords on the wall and uh it, it was pretty raw and basic and uh that was that was good times and early days of mma so um i've got a lot of fond memories we might even have a chat about some of the old mma days um and and what it was like to be in the early sort of uh start pre-gloves <laughs> and, and, and the other stuff but yeah so boys introduce yourselves please I'm Adam. Hello. Little known fact about me: I'm the most handsome man in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> I'm Jordan Ling. Little known fact: I'm the second most handsome man in Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> I'm Ryan Crunk. I'm actually the most handsome man in Jiu-Jitsu, uh, and maybe even the world. I don't know. <laughs> I go for the world, Crunk. I think you're lovely. Just <laughs> Um. My name's Kerry, um, and I'm the ugliest guy in jiu-jitsu. Oh. <laughs> so I'm Dave, and I would just consider myself a bit middle of the road, to be honest, so I'm not going to... Because there's a psychologist in the room, and I don't want to be analysed about anything I'm saying, especially about my aesthetics. Oh, you have right. to worry about those people. <laughs> exactly that, exactly that. <laughs> you boys are going to have to watch out, because uh, he's going to be writing things down and recording things about... Uh, what uh-huh. we're saying so let's get straight into it we've got some we've got some questions tonight and um we're, we're kind of gonna cover some, some stuff that people have asked us on on facebook to cover um some subject matters about um about training and isolation and things like that and then we're going to just maybe talk a little bit about the current situation um, we might have a little bit of a run through of today's events because today was a little bit of a uh, eye-opener in, 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 in current affairs, what's going on in the UK at the moment. So I would, I'd like to get Mark's 
uh, general idea. But let's, let's just go in straight with a question and, and get the ball rolling. Um, so, Adam, do you want to go and ask your question to Mark, please? Yeah. Hi, Mark. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So... I've got a dramatic pause, bruv. Just ask a question. His internet just gone down at absolutely I'll, correct time. Uh, I'm strong. This, this signal. We missed you. Yeah. We missed oh, you, Adam. Start again. Right. My name's Adam. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the most handsome guy in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, we've done that bit. So I, I like having a nice, strong mindset. I feel I've got quite a powerful mind. However, I've never not done any kind of combat training for uh, three months plus. Um, I'm wondering if there's any uh, papers or any sort of information you've got where this has been done before and how you can reacquire that sort of, not the skills as such, but like the mind, get your mind back into it. Because um, a lot of... Uh, you know, not necessarily fear and that kind of stuff, but you, when you're doing something over and over again, it's easy. When you stop doing it, it's possibly going to be hard. Um, and also going back to mental toughness, um, when you're tested consistently, you sort of prove yourself. When you're not, can that degrade? Over to you, Mark. So uh, are you talking to a situation where you um, are not... Um uh the facilities you want to train are not available yeah so pretty much normal day for me go to the gym grab someone um have a fight that's no longer an option i guess you're just referring to this situation now aren't you where, yeah, yeah, where we're yeah where, for uh, the three months three months lockdown facility is shut you know yeah. loads of people in this same position where we we have been forcibly <sighs> put on the sidelines we've, we've been we've yeah. been put on the bench no one wants to be here no one really unless you've got a, a, another half who can and train with you you're, you're not in a position really to be and even then you're not probably training as you would do in the gym with different bodies and so on and so forth so it's kind of i, I guess it's just this situation mark how do, how do you think people yeah. are best suited to cope, well, cope with this situation okay so let's just think about this from a, a bjj subculture perspective um, when uh, people train in BJJ it's a very group orientated way for the individual to train uh, you think of the functional training involved uh, the sparring the way in which people are socialized to train the techniques it's very much a group thing which has a lot of advantages okay uh, the individual expects feedback from other people in terms of how techniques are going. They People are used to sharing information about how to uh, adapt uh, uh, and use a particular technique in a live situation. And so that means that the motivation to train is very much kind of dependent for the individual on the group. So the problem is when that group is not there, the individual's got a problem. They've got a problem yeah. of self-discipline in the sense that they feel a void in that they feel like training when other people are there. They get motivated, they share information. It's all good when the group is there. But when that environment is taken from them or it's not available, then all of a sudden they feel a loss. Yeah. 
And I think that's what a lot of these BJJ guys uh, are anticipating what's going to happen. I've seen the uh, threads on Facebook and people are saying, well, what am I going to do now? Not just where am I going to change, but psychologically they feel, they know that there's going to be a problem with their motivation. Mm -hmm. And it's down to the individual recognising. With BJJ, it's a a kind of unique thing, even within combat sport, because you think of other types of martial arts, the striking arts, karate, the traditional arts especially, there's a moral value almost on being self-disciplined on training yourself they still have the group don't get me wrong and that's important source of their uh, motivation but also with the striking arts there tends to be a bit of more of a stress on well you know you've got to train by yourself and it's a valuable thing for you to aspire to another way of thinking about it is a long distance runner you would never within uh, the subculture of distance running have a runner who does not think you're putting those miles in is a valuable thing. It's just not happening. It's just, it's a requirement of certain sports to train by yourself. Otherwise, you ain't getting nowhere. Mm. Now, with BJJ, it's unique in the sense that you can get very good training in a group. And that's partly because of the functionality of the training. It's, it's an advantage. It's a kind of, that's what it's brought to the martial arts in terms of the importance of hands-on functionality of training and and live training because 40 years ago that wasn't such an important thing but now but also there's a disadvantage in the sense that when that group is not there the individual they get they're so used to the group and the norms of the group and the expectations that when that group's taken away they're kind of lost and that's mm-hmm. because it's in bjj and kind of you could say in brazilian culture they don't tend to stress this hard self-individualistic self-discipline as much as say uh, you get in the Japanese and some of the striking art. People see where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. are you saying that people are almost <clears throat> mourning the, the the social or, or, or almost like, um, you know, there's been some um, like talk about BJJ being almost like a, um, uh, what's the word? Like a, a cult type status, a, a grouping, a, a, a one ship. But you, they lose that, so they mourn the, the the people. And also, actually, a sing. You know, there's a lot of people putting like self drilling, shrimping. There's not much so, so much shrimping you're ever going to be able to do. Is it actually yeah. going to make you better? Um, so what does a, what can a BJJ practitioner do to be prepared to get back on the mats, you know, or, or do it as best as possible. What is there anything that can be done for that? Of course, of course. I mean, it's just that in other striking arts, it's more obvious because it's limited. But with BJJ, you've got your basic movements on the ground. You've got your shrimping, as you mentioned, but you've got your core exercise and you've got variations on the core exercises. Dan has just put out his solo drills video and it's really kind of, uh, an attempt to push BJJ people into saying, well, you know, you don't have to, even though you're, you emphasize functionality and live training and training with a partner and, you know, things which are obviously making you better in terms of getting that feedback in terms of, yeah, does this work? Yeah, I did it because I just submitted X, Y, and Z. But also getting people into the kind of mindset, well, you can get better just through doing things by yourself. 
which would be taken for granted in other combat sports and in other sports because their sports are more closed skills in the sense that you can obviously just drill a punch and you can see and feel it getting better just through sheer repetition. Whereas that type of mindset, BJJ people and grapplers, they don't tend to think like that because they're very much into the functionality. But now because of this situation where now you're kind of forced to say, well, it's either train by myself or do nothing. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> no one wants to do nothing. So now you're having to change your mindset into saying, well, can I get better by myself? What do I do? Uh, does it make a difference? And even if I get better by myself, how's that going to transfer to mm. a life situation? That's what probably people are thinking. And that can kind of demotivate some people, doesn't it? They kind of yeah. think, oh, I'm doing my, this my by worry. myself. But when I get on the mat, it's just is it going to be relevant? So you've just got to say, yeah, of course. Of course, the drill, the solo drills will be relevant to yeah. what you do on the mat. It's all about building little bricks before mm. you build a big house. But will your – so my, my big fear – it's not fear really because I've never experienced it, but I'm – I like competing, so I like the almost the, the fear factor. Before you step on the mat, who's that guy? Oh, and then you overcome it and you do it. Um, can you lose I'm not saying you become a pussy if you don't fight but can but can you sort of get weaker mentally by not being exposed to that for a prolonged length of time it's a mindset thing it's, it's, your, it's your mind playing games with you if it, become, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy if someone mm. thinks like that mm. Because then they think like that, yeah, well, I'm not going to be on the mat with these guys. I'm not going to feel that kind of uh, little mild anxiety before the spar. Mm. Who am I sparring with? And I'm not going to get that for four weeks or longer. Therefore, I'm not going to be as good. And then, therefore, you think you're not going to be as good. Then, therefore, you kind of think you lose the motivation to train. And then you lose the motivation to train and then you think, well, I haven't been training. So therefore, next time I get on the bat, it's going to be worse in it. You kind of talk your way into a set of behaviors which um, confirm your guess, your worst yeah. fear. Is this you the ring rust so, theory? Mark? It's a mindset thing. So you don't want to go there. Yeah. Is this where people get ring rust from? You know, uh, you know, people will use ring rust as a. I'm not saying it's like a comfort blanket, but if you have a poor performance after a bit of a layoff, there is always that ring rust um, that comes out. Do you know what I mean? Is that is that what you're talking about? Is that a same? Is that a similar thing, or is that just you know? Is that is that their mind? Letting I would them down? say that's the same thing. The same processes can go on in that you see guys they have 12 months off and then they kind of. They 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 say oh well I haven't been a, I've been away for a long time and therefore and then you get other guys they've been away for the same time and they're just saying well it's not going to make any difference I'm fine in the gym X Y and Z I've been working on and then when they perform uh, respectively they end up confirming their hypothesis or their explanation for their performance mm. you know they can end up making excuses so it becomes a kind of negative or a positive self-talk thing in the sense that. You want to monitor your private dialogue very carefully in this next three months, and you want to check yourself. Are you is that negative thought process going in there? And if it is, you need to do something to disconfirm it, not confirm it, because the 
the danger is you'll end up confirming it mm -hmm. and then you end up uh, performing and doing behaviors which kind of uh, reinforce that kind of hypothesis and it was only a guess but you turn it into reality by mm -hmm. you know doing behaviors which you know reinforce it yeah so and Oh, oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. The flip side of that, Mark, could you trick yourself to think you're going to perform better? Well, it's not a matter of thinking yourself going to perform better. It's a matter of having the confidence to believe that this this layoff, during this layoff, you can do things which will make a difference to mm. when you go back on the mat. It's all the same you. Yeah. You're training you the same prep? Yeah. What it is, I think, there's a danger. With the functionality training and live training and this kind of almost overemphasis on saying, well, the only thing that matters is what happens on the map. It's this kind of uh, trap combat sports people get into. Oh, you're only as good as your last performance, i.e. what you did on the map or in the ring or in the competition, because that's what everyone looks to. Mm. And, uh, you know, that can become a trap in the sense that you end up de-emphasizing what you can do away from that environment in order to make yourself better because you think, oh, no one's here, there's no pressure, therefore it doesn't really matter. But then again, you're kind of talking yourself into kind of not actually getting the most out of your training because you think, oh, the pressure's not here, therefore what I do doesn't matter. You want to not think like that. You want to think, well, you know, it does matter whatever I'm doing because it's what goes on in my head that matters. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting what you say about a subculture and things like that, because what rung true to me is when I, I follow uh, flow wrestling and wrestlers, especially in the US wrestlers, they do shadow wrestle. That is something they do. That's a, that's a common practice to theirs. They, they obviously do solo drills. We have some solo drills, but they're used as a warm up, whereas they're not used as an actual training methodology you know you could almost look at traditional martial arts and say well like patterns and katas are almost that's that that developed for that very reason weren't they you know originally and um it, it's almost like maybe we're going to be in this situation we're all in the same situation together maybe there will be something coming out at the end of it where where there are formulated solo drills you know bjj solo drills because there there will be nothing else you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, they're doing that because they know by doing those solo drills, you are uh, drilling a pattern of memory. You are going through things in your head. You're going through mental rehearsal. It's like this common problem in BJJ. You go through some techniques at the start of the lesson, then you spar. And then sometimes you, you know you should be drilling the techniques uh, you didn't start within a few days because otherwise there's a danger of forgetting them. But, you know, those those that is part of the basic fundamentals of learning a skill. You've got to rehearse it in order for it to be remembered because without it being remembered, then it's going to be difficult actually performing it in a live situation. But some people, they, they rely too much on doing it in the live situation rather than actually rehearsing it by themselves. Mm -hmm. So they end up not actually uh, giving themselves the chance to transfer the, the learned technique to the live situation. So what I'm saying is, if you look at it in terms of basic fundamentals, in terms of how the brain works, you need to rehearse things uh, in solo or as a partner in order to remember them later on in a pressure situation. So I think it's just a matter of in the subculture, people just 
underemphasizing solo training, overemphasizing the partner drills, and therefore not giving them a chance to to, to drill things and not and not sit not valuing it as much as they should. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. this is. I don't. I don't want to keep. Uh, I think this is really interesting for a lot of BJJers out there, especially. And I know this is not a BJJ um, centric podcast, essentially, but this is an interesting point that you're making because there's a lot of emphasis on the sparring that functionality does it work and and what i sort of gleaning from your conversation is that that what would probably discussed a, a lot of bjjs out there because everybody loves to spar is that that drilling is one of the fundamental things we probably don't spend enough time doing in a class we 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 drill it maybe two or three times as we're being shown it and that I'm probably guessing you're going to say is just not enough for that technique to be embedded in 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 your in your you know mo- become a motor skill is not enough is that true to say no and it's it's partly as I said down to I mean down to the popularity of BJJ is that kind of the training is interesting in terms of you're always guaranteed every time you go to a club you're going to spar and you're going to have that kind of competitive buzz as it were, and that immediate feedback you get from that competitive buzz. And, and that fits very well in Western culture. And that's probably one of the reasons why BJJ has become so popular, because everyone likes that kind of competitive element, um, as opposed to the drilling of things, which there would be a lot of individual variation in terms of a lot of some people wouldn't like that as much. If you turned up at a BJJ and the guy just says, right, we're just going to drill. You know, isolation of triangles uh, without, we're not doing no sparring. I think the numbers in the club would probably go down after a number yeah, of weeks. <laughs> and, it's, and this is the thing I'm saying. It's, there's not so much of an emphasis on the moral virtue of self-discipline because people rely on the pairs, pair training, the group. But now they're being forced into a situation where they have to rely on their self-discipline. And so they're saying, well, what shall I do? So that's what, Training isn't in the traditional martial arts. It's not just about technique, is it? No. It's not just about sparring. It's about developing your your kind of character to do with the self-discipline and the self-reliance, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's, I get the impression, looking at somebody's BJJ thing, if, if they were really stuck on a desert island, just a couple of them, there would be a lot of individual variation in terms of how much training they would do because they would miss their group so much they wouldn't want to do it at all. Yeah, and that's I, kind of that's different. That's you've got to say, well, is there scope here for developing your self-discipline and self-reliance during this level, this next two three months? And I'd say yes. for a lot of BJJs, yes. Yeah, and that's motivating. I think I, I don't know yes. what the other guys think, but yeah. I think that's motivating to, oh, to to think that actually, you know, most when like you, Mark, you look at the threads, you see there's loads of doom and gloom. Everybody's looked at it. There's loads of doom and gloom. Everybody's teary-eyed about their club shutting, and you know, to to get encouragement from the fact that actually, do you know what? We should use this time to be a little bit more um, self-reliant and become self-sustainable. Better. Become better. There's other ways mm. you could become better. You you yeah. could actually improve yourself by, you know, by you know training on your own increasing your self-discipline that is that is an encouraging part yeah. and that's something that people haven't had said to them and the um, yeah. the other thing i saw is this, this um, issue around training dummies 
And there's been some debate on that in BJJ, and I really, really wanted to chip in on that. I mean, there was one guy saying uh, grappling dummies are a waste of time, and then there's other guy. You've got other guys at the polar end, polar polar end saying they're great. I mean, and my opinion is, of course, they're useful <laughs> because you're not aiming for the grappling dummy to be a real person. You're only using the grappling dummy to rehearse things which you wouldn't normally rehearse by yourself. And obviously, it's 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 not going to be the same as a real person. We know that, but that doesn't mean it's not. Uh, it's a it's, it's a waste of time. It just means that you're using it for the purpose of that mental rehearsal, so that yeah. you can go through stuff and not forget. And obviously, it's not going to be exactly the same. But it me, I mean, I I've got a grappling dummy here, and it's a blitz grappling dummy, and it is next to flipping useless in terms. He's got big hunking shoulders. <laughs> I can't bloody triangle him, but it's not used for that. It's just used for going through stuff after a session where I might forget it. And then the next session I go to, then I know I've remembered it and then I can try it on the guy. Yeah. You get what yeah. I mean? So it's yeah. not a matter of saying, oh, well, I'm using it to kind of replicate a spa. No, you're using it just to go through stuff which you might forget otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And I think encouraging, I think a lot, I mean, I definitely am encouraged from that. I think it's like anything, you know, it's when, you know, you know, if someone's on a driving ban and they take get their car taken away and they just end up not going anywhere or doing anything, I think we're, you know, that's probably not a great analogy, but I think that's how a lot of BJ J practitioners feel when they when their gym doors are locked and you think, well, nah, that's it. I'm just gonna probably sit for a couple yeah, of months. Get fat. Get <laughs> and that fat. goes back to your other point. Want. That goes back to your other point. A lot of I've noticed that a lot of BJJ guys. And it's again, it's down to it's one of the factors for the popularity of BJJ uh, because of the Brazilian culture. They're very sociable. There's that jokey element. It's it's serious, but not too serious. Everyone can have a bit of a laugh. Uh, people are drawn to it, not just because of the competition and that aspect we mentioned, but also that social element. Mm, 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 and mm. That's what people are uh, anticipating they're going to miss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, clubs, clubs nowadays, they're. They're not just tied to the mat. They're also they've got each other's phone numbers. They're in Facebook groups together. They can. I mean, we we communicate more now than we ever have, but we can't choke each other out. Do you know what I mean? So, it, it, there is scope for improvement. Even though you're on your own, you've still got the collective virtually with you. You know, I, I think if you were to everybody's in the group to organise to train in the morning, and you know. Maybe if someone didn't, everybody else would give them shit over the phone. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm sure no one would fall through the net. Uh, so, you know, the what the I guess what this situation has done is forced everybody to leave the group and then just to have faces on the screen. I still think that's of use, though. You know, you can yes. you can still get the, the the group is still there for you. You know. Yeah, and the individual has internalised the norms of the group anyway. Because that's what we do when we learn socially. You know, we, 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 we become the group, but the group norms are in our head and we carry them around with it. Mm. So, Mark, real quick, I'm sorry I'm asking millions of questions, but just like you said earlier. So what I find really interesting, when I set a class, I do drills to warm up generally. So I say 20 arm bars, 20 triangles, 10 guard passes, and then 10 of something else or 20 of something else. The real good guys, 
we'll smash them out and just sit there lazy and not doing anything, which is, you know, I've only said to do 20, but the slower guys are still doing it. They just sit there lazy. You know, you are, you lazy buggers, <laughs> but it's for, for me, you know, it, it, that's the sort of time, it's your training time. You're wasting it. I don't care. Dra- drill or not drill. Is that again how it's diversified from traditional martial arts, where it's more strict, very laissez-faire Brazilian attitude? Just do ten, just do ten, bro. Relax. Whereas really, you should be taking your own time and, and really drilling and using that time for your own self-motivation. To some extent, it's down to the coach. The coach has to. He the coach sets the norms and expectations for people to follow within the group and yeah you're right there is an element of within bjj it's a very relaxed atmosphere isn't it it's not an overly Mm. disciplined kind of strict hierarchical thing um but there are coach it's it's simple coaching techniques the coach can do to make that harder i mean rather than do it by numbers they can do it by time so everyone just does reps until you say for example, there's simple kind of things you can do, and mm-hmm. and again, it's, it's again it does come down to the the, the, the virtues of self-discipline and, and self-reliance mm-hmm. in the sense that the traditional martial arts they kind of mm-hmm. teach those things verbally as well in terms of their mm-hmm. dojo kun, don't they? And the, yeah. the kind of ideals they recite at the start, or they used to when I was doing it. But I think those things are important, but they've never been a part of BJJ. No. But then again, there's nothing stopping any BJJ instructor with that kind of inclination from kind of incorporating those ideas and being a bit more creative and being a mm. bit more strict. Nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Is that on yeah, they, they, in other words, they think it's acceptable to be lazy. Yeah. Psychologically, because <laughs> they they don't they don't see they know you're not going to punish them. Especially no, you're not going to say anything. Especially, no, I'll punish yeah. them later on, Mark. I'll be Mark later. What Mark actually said was, they're not scared of you. So no, no, they're still to, what they like. To, yeah, <laughs> dark times, isn't it? Yeah, I don't have a question. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, no problem. So, George, George, you got the next question. Do you want to ask your question, George? Yes. So, have you ever experienced any form of sports injury or psychological barriers pertaining to MMA or martial arts? And do you find that you can talk or work through your your own techniques and practices on yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, all my generation, all, all people who compete in MMA and Jiu-Jitsu for anything more than a couple of years, they've all experienced injury. Uh, and the most frustrating thing is when you've been training for something, you're almost ready, the date's almost up, and then an unexpected injury happens and you can't make the date. That happened a few times, and that is very frustrating. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I got into doing research into the psychological consequences of injury, because I experienced that myself. I saw the effects of it in other people as well. And so uh, I wanted to learn more about it. So one of my areas of research is um, looking at uh, the, the ways in which people psychologically respond to unexpected sports injuries. Uh, emotionally and how they can um, deal with that in order to minimize uh, the uncomfortable frustration and maybe uh, use the time as productively as possible. Because the thing is with sport injury, you, 
you're in a situation you can't change and you have to get over that frustration quickly and kind of try and turn a negative into a positive. So I, 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 I do research into looking into a lot of those factors which influence that. So uh, the second bit of the system, could I do it on myself? I mean, the thing is, with uh, combat sports and all of them, you, your mindset is very, obviously we're all individuals, but the way you respond to situations like a sport injury is very dependent on your, your support structure, what the context is. You know, it's not just something in an individual's head. You know, the individual will have certain characteristics, but really how they respond will be to the specific situation okay so um typically if you're looking at it from the point of view of an injury you know the worst time to get injured is when i just said when you're just preparing for something and you, it can't happen because you just had because of the anticipation yeah mentally getting ready you feel ready then something happens the worst injury is when it could have been avoided because then there's a bit of self-blame going on as well. So you haven't just missed the event. There's also, oh, what the fuck did I do that for? That was really fucking stupid. That's the worst type of injury uh, or situation. But also, the people you're with as well can make it worse or better. Okay? And that's where your support structure comes in. And uh, the information you get from your coach, your colleagues, uh, can dampen down the stress or make it worse. Um, <laughs> that's more common in football. In in traditionally traditionally in in high class football, uh, they used to be very unsympathetic towards players getting injured. You know, they're making jokes and the banter. Oh, you sick note! What the fuck are you doing around here? Like that? You're not really injured. You're faking it. You're a coward. That type of feedback. You get what I mean? It's not common in combat mm. sport to be like that really because people tend to be because of the stress involved in combat sports and because people don't compete very often there tends to be more of a uh, commonality to support people when something goes wrong you get what i mean mm. whereas yeah. in, in uh, team sports because they're, com they're playing more often there's more of a casual kind of well if you're not competing today you can compete next week so if you're injured people just treat you uh, as a more disposable you know because yeah. They compete more often. They don't see it so much as a, it's not so much as a unique thing for team sport people. Mm -hmm. So that's why you get that sometimes cruel banter in football and rugby. Uh, and the consequence of that is that you sometimes when they're injured, they feel a pressure to actually compete and train when they're injured. And again, you get less of that in combat sports, but you can get it in the higher levels. Mm -hmm. You can get it where people feel pressure to compete even when they're injured. Mm. That's another thing as well. Yeah, no, that's really. Was that uh, okay? It's you a know, big another area. Question. Um, it's a big George. area. Uh, injuries. Yeah. I've got one. Um, Mark, on the on the mindset bit, and obviously you're from uh, you're an OG of the uh, MMA game in the UK. Do you think there is a difference oh, in the mindset of the current generation of MMA fighters in the UK? compared to yours he likes this <laughs> but he's smiling <laughs> yeah they're more fucking pampered let me say one thing one thing ultra white collar mma eight weeks then you have a fight 
I mean the I mean like the the, the pro <laughs> MMA fighters. No, no, no. Seriously, let me just get onto this. Every generation you're going to get this. It's happened in boxing for decades. Oh, this generation's better than that. And now we're we've learned from what the old generation did, and we're better. I mean, I haven't heard them obviously say that, but it's it's almost an undercurrent, isn't it? You expect it. But sorry, what was the question? Um. So obviously the, the the training is totally different now. There's a you have a lot more coaches. All of your training is it can be in one place now. So that support network that you were talking about, you're you're more likely to find that in one area, whereas you guys would have had to go and get that at multiple different places. So it was more of a, I guess you you had to have a strong. For 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 me, I would have guessed you'd have had to have a stronger mindset to go and seek out that training individually. Um. Whereas now it's all in one place. Do you think that affects the mindset of an MMA fighter now, nowadays more than it did when you guys were fighting? Yeah, expectations, okay. They, they, uh, they believe, and quite rightly so, they can get good, reasonable quality instruction in the same place because they've got coaches who fought. The first generation didn't have coaches typically who fought. So... Uh, they were training together with people who were fighting but weren't retrospective fighters who were yeah. now coaches. Yeah. So um, expectations. Um, but as I said, it, it all comes down to relative to the actual people they're going to fight. The level, the playing field is the same in that they're, they're fighting people who have got the same supposed advantages that they've got whereas the older generation were fighting people who are in the same boat they were in terms of preparation and that's one reason why i think cross-generational comparisons aren't really important because they're all relative to the level of knowledge which is about at that time yeah so the question on differences in terms of their expectations of training uh, knowledge yeah you could argue that as well. The knowledge base of someone who trained has trained six months in MMA will be generally more than if you look back 20 years ago to someone comparing to someone who trained six months in MMA 20 years ago. Yeah. But, I mean, what is the relevance of that? But then again, but then again, we're talking about technique, aren't we? We're not necessarily talking about mental approach to the yeah. competition we're not talking about ability to um recover from uh, a loss or uh confidence relative confidence we're not talking about ability to kind of uh juggle training with other commit commitments we're not talking about ability to recover from injury so there's all these other things going on where there is no difference whatsoever with the current generation. Nothing. They're, people are just narrowing in on a very specific aspect of being a performer, i.e. a technique. Yeah, it has changed. But there's all these other areas of the experience of being an MMA fighter which are exactly the same. No change whatsoever and the current generation will still make exactly the same mistakes in those areas i've mentioned 
which the other uh, generation did. Exactly the same in terms of issues to do with injury, issues to do with juggling uh, your commitments of your training with other commitments you've got in your life, issues to do with uh, problems to do with transitioning away from the sport and retirement. All those problems, they have not advanced in one bit. Do you think the motivations have changed, though, Mark? Because I think, you know, 20 years ago, the one thing that you didn't have is access to big shows and paydays. I mean, you know, you remember UCMMA, you might get your £30 check uh, at the end of it. You know, I'm not saying people are getting paid big money now, but there is definitely the prospect of getting paid decent money, whereas actually back in the day when we were doing it, there was no prospect, really. It, yeah. was, it, was, it, was, it was almost impossible to make a living out of doing it. So the motivations, and, and, and actually even the, the effort base, I'm not saying that the, the effort isn't in the training, because obviously guys that do it nowadays are absolute athletes, you know, they're specimens. But the effort that was made to get to a place of training was was sometimes epic i mean me and you used to go up to you know gym box in london you know from you know northwest london it wasn't an easy journey you know what i mean it was it, you know it's a different motivation there you, you think that's true i think this is one of the things you've got to look at in terms of what changes have been going on in wider society the last 20 years um we've had uh, the financial crash we've had austerity and and a lot of uh, organizations have had to kind of uh, shift more, even though it was always there. They've had to shift more towards this economic rationale, and that's affected sports organizations in terms of they've got to kind of uh, think in terms of business. So even though the money element was there when we were there, it wasn't developed to the extent where you'd expect to make a living or you'd see guys making a lot of money. And so therefore, you're your motivation to train wasn't this traditional old school, well, I'm just going to test myself and uh, that's it. And then I'm just going to carry on with my other kind of career uh, aspirations, which have got nothing to do with it. Because you didn't have those role models. Whereas the last 10 years, these young guys have seen Bispin. They've seen the other guys. Uh, they've seen our Irish outlier friend. Uh, and it's kind of skewed their it skewed their kind of uh, motivations as to what might be possible for them as well towards this economic rationale in terms of making money and career, which is fine. Um, but it can it can change the mean that their mindset is more geared towards uh, the business aspects of the sport than what we were. I think and that's looks- not a bad thing either. But it can it can lead to a bit of conformity. It looks a lot safer as well. Like when you think about fighting 20 years ago with no gloves, you know, it was called cage fighting, whereas now everybody thinks of it as mixed martial arts. Um, You know, even just a subtle name change has has changed it. You guys were doing it and no one else had done it before. It was, it was, you were the first lot to do it. Um, There wasn't the same level of safety that there is now we didn't understand CTE in the same way because I think people are more inclined to do it now that would maybe have 
ridden BMXs or been a skateboarder or something because it's like it's more like an extreme sport now than a you know than a fight. Yeah, become cool, isn't it? Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, it does link into this masculinity thing, which uh, we can have a separate talk about. But basically, there's a couple of things there. It's the development of a sport is one thing. It wasn't developed 30 years ago in, in the sense that rules were all over the place. Uh, the, the sport wasn't streamlined. Um, it, there wasn't a lot of exposure in terms of media. Uh, and that's why there wasn't a lot of money involved unless it was in Japan or in some the UFC was just starting. But as you get a sport that's more developed, it, it becomes calls for a national governing body. So, you know, you've got guys in the UK, they've been working hard on the governing body side of things. Then you've got the regulation of the rules. You've got the standardization of the rules. You've got the uh, American input for the rules. And then you had five years ago starting all the around the health and safety and the blood and now you've got the x-rays of the brain and the CTE because that's been slowly filtering in in terms of contact sports generally but combat sports specifically so in order to get a, a sport more developed and more accepted uh, and therefore more mainstream so but you get a potentially wider pool of people you've got to have those changes so MMA has gone through an essential period of sport development the last 10 years which obviously 20 years ago yeah you had it was more of an old school uh not underground but semi kind of had an underground feel some of those promotions if you speak to me and dave and some of them yeah Yeah. some of those promotions definitely had that kind of raw feeling to it whereas now those some guys who are around in the sport now they'd probably look at that and think what the hell is going on there uh we, we wouldn't want to be involved in that uh, so yeah, that, that's, these are basically the stages a sport goes through in order to be accepted by mainstream society. Or, or like, sport has to go through. When you mentioned people used to smoke on a plane, and now when you used to go to a venue and fight, people used to be smoking in the crowd, <laughs> and, and people would be like, "What? How could you fight?" And there's people smoking, and there's a smoke. Yeah. That was just it. Your feet sticking to the floor of the carpet as you walk up the towards the, the cage or the ring or whatever it's just it wouldn't be acceptable now i don't think people it, it, it's a different time and like mark was saying i don't think it, it it is any more difficult or any more any easier it certainly is the, exactly the same you know aspects to it but um it, it does feel like a different beast i have to say from from what i see now it does feel like a different animal um to, to what 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 it was back then uh, yeah. I think the barriers to entry are less, aren't they? Because the amount of people I meet weekly, oh, I'm an MMA fighter. Are you? Really? <laughs> it's, you know, it's crazy. Uh, people, it's and, that's, bit, and that's how they identify. Yes, and uh, it's become more fashionable. So some people identify it as, as an almost fashion, like Nike, you know, just do it. You know, it's, it's seen as a kind of, uh, a, 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 a kind of badge of, masculinity for a certain generation to be doing it is cool uh, and you know I'm hard and you know I'm almost like an aspect of weight training but um, it's it's but also there it's it's become less edgy as it's become more acceptable it's it's kind of and you, there's more wider provision the training has become kind of uh, more safe because in order to get people 
in order for some sports some sports to get more popular, uh, they get more popular not because they're not because they're still hardcore, but because they've got to relax the rules in order to make it more mainstream. So yeah. becoming more mainstream means you're going to get a wider range of people doing it, which is a good thing. And it's yeah. partly because in, in BJJ there tends to be a different demographic to MMA, but because BJJ has grown the last five, ten years, and obviously some of those people in BJJ will kind of overlap into MMA. Yeah. And they will say they will become MMA fighters, and that's a good thing because that that makes the diversity of MMA more interesting, mm. and it means that your your kind of stereotype of what a fighter or MMA fighter is it kind of uh, broadens. Mm. Um, it means that some of those people will not necessarily be the stereotype of what you'd expect uh, a, a fighter to be, say, 20, 30 years ago, where it w- those people weren't involved. Mm. Yeah, it definitely it definitely is evolved. A lot as over the years. Is that, does that answer? Do you, do you want to ask anything else, George? Um, yeah. So mine's more relevant to the current situation going on with the potential of being in a lockdown for sort of uh, three months or maybe even longer. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are on kind of very strict diets or very strict eating patterns. Um, and you know, with the limitations of supplies and you know, not things not being readily accessible. Do you think that could pose a threat to some people's mental health? I mean, um, you know, some pe- I think there is a strong link between diet and mental health in some way. Uh, do you think that could, uh, you know, attribute to anything? Oh, I think there's going to be problems in the next three months. There's a, generally speaking, in the population, there's a, a lot of people with various types of conditions and vulnerabilities and they feel more comfortable having a certain, uh, you know, macro, micro, nutrient balance, and you need certain things along with their medication. And, uh, and if they can't get them, or their carer can't get them because, you know, they can't, uh, they're self-isolating and they're having problems getting things at the right time, or there there isn't a supply of them. I think that's definitely going to affect people's uh, ability. You know, it's going to affect people's. Uh, uh, it's going to raise people's anxiety levels. Uh, it's going to have an effect on their energy levels as well, uh, and it's going to make them feel, you know, a bit helpless, depending on what their situation is. For sports people, for extreme sports people, I don't think it's going to be sports people without a condition. I don't think it's going to be <coughs> a major issue because there ain't going to be any sporting events to aim for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. So it's a matter of keeping the balance in which is good enough for your training which obviously is still going to have to be you're going to have to get your calories in in order to mm. uh, do the training and recover uh, hopefully people will do vigorous training solo drills and then they have their recovery mm. in afterwards so uh, um, they're going to need that what is it Jensen? What, no? No, you can't have that what now? This is lockdown life. Lockdown <laughs> life. This is lockdown uh, life for the kids. For the kids at home. So on that, Mark, I just, I just want to bring you to this, really, the, the, the reason behind the podcast, and it sort of brings us neatly with, with Jordan's question onto that, really. There's some quite big things happened today. Um, UK pubs and restaurants were told were forced to shut. Uh, in order to contain this virus that's going on and and it seems as we move forwards there's been a um a lot of economic 
um, let's call them solutions or uh, help that has been put out by the government to what seems to be lead us all towards the situation where we may be in an enforced quarantine for a period of time. And I guess from a personal point of view, um, with your psychologist um, hat on, what sort of human behaviours, I guess, do you think we can expect over the next course of the months? And do you think there's going to be a, a mass compliance or do you think there's going to be um, a lot of people that really aren't going to want to comply no matter what? There's always almost already been, you know, some hysterical shopping tendencies behaviors coming out no matter how many nurses you see cry finishing their shifts people are still buying their toilet roll getting their 20 loaves of bread you know Almost. all this sort of business what 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 sort of behaviors can we be expecting out of this mark you know will it be civil well they've they've ramped up this social distancing thing and they just they just want to flatten the curve as they say and they think that's the only way we can actually reduce the rates of this virus so Oh, I think uh, I think I think uh, they're going to be under pressure to put more uh, or after supermarkets to put in measures so that people can be more civil at supermarkets. And, mm. Because you can actually catch it at the sea. You're more likely to catch it at the supermarket where there's people mingling around. Um, but I think uh, in terms of. In terms of sporting people, in terms of training, you stick to the solo drills uh, and you accept the fact that you can't train with people. I think uh, the, the effect influence should be minimal. But it's these people who are living uh, with people who are key, key workers. You know, I think that's going to be a, a big issue because some key workers are actually coming into contact with people who, who might have the virus and then they're having to come home. Mm. So uh, it will raise anxiety levels there. But people, where you've got to ask yourself, where are people going to be interacting most? It's going to be supermarkets. It's going to be maybe uh, hospitals for key workers. Um, takeaways, minimally. And the schools for the kids, I suppose kids are key workers. There's going to be still going to be kid, child, child contact there, isn't there? So yeah, and they're trying to say now even kids shouldn't play with each other, and that's really, I think, frustrating levels. I think it's going to be a, a displacement levels in terms of secondary, in terms of parents, especially. They're going to be they're having to uh, distance themselves not just from their friends, but they're having to distance their kids from other kids, and that's going to be a major kind of challenge for parents, I think. Mm. over the next and few months because they're going to be thinking well I wouldn't be doing this if the kid wasn't at school it's extra work for me I'm having to stay at home and not socialise at work because of this and I think really I think the advice is people need to put in a plan mm. plan mm. of action for how they're going to actually deal with this rather than just actually think it's going to be okay on the day because for a lot of people, it's not going to be there. They're going to have to plan how they're going to do it on the day. They're going to have to um, talk with their uh, 
significant other, whoever they live with, put in a rotor for who's doing X, Y, and Z at what time with the kids, uh, for example, uh, so that I can get my training in while you're doing that. I mean, it goes with the training as well. It, I, that's what I'd advise, really. You're need, really going to have to be, in order to maintain your mental health, because part of your mental health is sticking, trying to stick towards, stick with your routine in these uncertain times or have as much of it which you know maintains your, your positive self-esteem, your physical self-esteem, helps you make you feel fit. Get that endorphin rush every now and again. Mm. You know, you, you've got to make time to do the training but now you've got to kind of juggle these other commitments at the same time so my plan is in order the effect of the social uh, distancing can be minimized if you make a plan for how you're going to maintain your normal routines to maintain your well-being and interestingly something else i want to ask you mark is after all this is said and done, there's, there is some scientists that are saying that social distancing to be effective may have to continue for, for the rest, for another year, basically, from now. Do you think this is something that contact sports and um, contact sports people, I'm not saying athletes, I'm not saying competitors, but just people who participate, is this going to have a detrimental effect on people's want to have contact? You know, um, are people going to want to take the risk at getting back on the mats? Is it going to deter a lot of people thinking, well, I've just done three months in my house. Is it worth it going and cuddling a lot of other people on, you know, a semi-clean mat? you know, for, you know, an hour every night. Do, do you think this is going to have an ongoing detrimental effect to, to our arts, our, our martial arts in, in particular? Long term, I can't see it because of the reasons we spoke about at the start. That, uh, ooh, that motivation, that need to belong to a group, BJJ and the other martial arts, but BJJ especially, I think it. It fulfills that need for the individual to belong to a group. And there's a lot of interesting scientists which have talked about that need an individual has for group affiliation. It's, it's almost like a, a need to drink water, to eat, to, uh, to do basic things. It's a psychological fundamental requirement for us to socialize. And the martial arts, they fulfill an important part of an individual's group identity. Mm-hmm. So even in three or six months time for example the government says well it's, we can start going back now then it'll be a domino effect people some people who are very and it'll be individual differences some people who are very kind of health conscious might be thinking oh should i be going back i'm very i might be worried about getting the virus but when they start but then there'll be people who won't be worried at all <laughs> and they'll go straight back and then those people will influence the other people and it'll be like a domino effect because people conform. Mm. Once it's a, there's a conformity aspect to group behavior and no one wants to be left out. So if people were part of the group before, even though they might fear, they might fear getting the virus, uh, they'll see other people who aren't, who aren't the slightest bit bothered going back and they'll feel like they're missing out on the group so that's what it is the facebook the social media big part of motivation is not wanting to be left out yeah. the fundamental kind of 
motivation. So no, yeah. long term, people will want to go back. Yeah, good, good. Interesting oh, thing today, Mark. Um, sorry, Dave, just cut off there. You still, right. So um, pubs, restaurants, leisure centres, restaurants, all closed today. Twelve o'clock tonight. Yeah. Everyone's been told all week, don't mix in large gatherings, social distancing. Everyone's gone out on the piss tonight. Now, are they? Are they? Um, I'm. I'm not going on the piss. Am I compliant in my in my brain? And those guys are non-compliant, or are they sort of their social identity is? Oi, oi, riding the piss. Are they? Is their social group sort of the? Um, I'm going to do exactly opposite what the government says because I am cool. Is that? You know what explains their behaviour? Uh, well, you can explain it more by they're at liberty to do that tonight because they know tomorrow they can't. So they they know that they're trying to get the last one in, mm. and they're they're doing what they know they're they're not going to be able to do tomorrow. And they've probably got a, some of them got a habit of doing that. They enjoy the socialising, and uh, they they want that kind of uh, enjoyment of the group before the the lockdown. It's not a matter of them um, rebelling. It's a matter of their people are creatures of habit. They mm. do what is easiest for them to do in terms of uh, automatic procedures, in terms of what they've done before. Mm. So I doubt the people who are doing that are doing anything new to them. It's not like they've been hermits and they're suddenly deciding they're doing that. They probably had a habit of doing that every now and again, and now they realise, well, I'm not going to be doing that for three months, so I'm going to really smash it tonight. Yeah. yeah. It's, so people who aren't doing that, maybe it's just not as important to them to actually uh, get it in before the, the three months lockdown, in the sense that you don't feel like you're going to be missing out on that much. Mm. Uh, you feel you've got other things you can you can enjoy doing, and it's not going to be so much of a, a um, deprivation for you. The next three months maybe a bit more grown up etc etc whereas yeah. youngsters they tend not to think like that they they tend to think more of the here and now yeah so uh it, it's a it's a matter of thinking about it in terms of a, an individual's habitual patterns mm. are they uh gonna be uh punished for doing it no they're not so they're allowed to do it whereas they know mm. they're going to be punished for doing it tomorrow so people's mm. behavior is a lot regulated by the threat of punishment they know they're going to be punished for doing that tomorrow, so they know they they better get it in tonight. Yeah. So uh, and it goes back to that other point Dave said, um, the compliance thing. Those people are probably they know they'd better comply uh, from to, from after tonight. You know what yeah. I mean? So they probably are. They will feel the pressure of conformity. Mm. <laughs> they know they will feel it. <laughs> so they they probably know it will be a lot harder to kind of rebel over the next three months and do that because they just feel that psychologically that would be difficult to do yeah so uh yeah um people here will there will be some rebels <laughs> uh, there will be some but it's all about threat of punishment and the government don't really want to clamp, clamp down on people they don't want to be like china the chinese i've got a link with china and they've got more as it comes down to habit as i said they've got a habit of doing what the government says because they've got a history of seeing and hearing what happens if you don't <laughs> yeah you can still disappear in china <laughs> they can do bad things to you they can 
Yeah. It's, it's not common, but they, they can visit you at night, knock, knock, and drag you away. It's possible. So that threat of punishment will stop people from doing bad things, and it will mean they'll comply. Whereas here, we haven't got that history. But still, there's that pressure of, well, I better not do it because everyone else is not, most people are not doing it. And it's funny you say that, Mark, because there's a big denial. There's a lot of talk about blah, 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 conspiracy theory this, blah, blah, blah. But people don't want to, in this country, don't want to know that actually there are some bad things that happen, especially in China. This, this you know, the people um, do as they're told, <laughs> you know, to a certain extent. Um and it's a strong rule, you know. I, I think people maybe don't understand the culture that is that is out there quite as well, because everybody likes to think it is um, exactly the same as it is in the UK, and it just isn't. It isn't like that, is it? You know. No, the government didn't want to crank, uh, clamp down on people, no, um, because they didn't want the potential. They, I, I suppose, they'd be a bit embarrassed if people didn't comply. And then they'd, they'd have to kind of come down heavy and that could go wrong. They, they just don't want it. And that's why I think they've left this late. <laughs> and do you think it is left late, Mark? Do you think they have left it late? I think they have, yeah. I think the horse has already bolted. They yeah. should have done this earlier. It, it, that's why we're having to do all this now. Uh, the, the social distancing. Because the figures are not looking good, are they? Huh? The figures are not looking good, are they? That, 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 that's that's the fact of the matter. The figures, the figures compar- comparatively with Italy, uh, we are ahead of Italy now uh, yeah. to where they were two weeks ago. And we were always told we were between two and three weeks behind them. And it, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I do. Well, I guess we'll we'll get the feeling of other people as this podcast goes on over the coming weeks, months, whatever, however long this lasts. But. And the, and the proof will be in the pudding. I hope not two years. But the proof will yeah. be in the pudding over the numbers. The tr- the truth will tell, won't it? As I was going to bring on the truth seeker, which a lot of people will forget that you were the truth seeker on the oh, yeah. SFUK forums for yeah. all the old school MMA guys out there that you might remember that. But Only the tr- and the Cage Warriors one, I had that. And the Cage Warriors one, yeah, I knew it was Amazing. one of them. Yeah. But you know what? That, that that it will be. Time will tell. And I hope I hope they haven't got it wrong. I hope they've got it right. And I th- hope we've, we've the experts have timed it perfectly. But I can't. I hope it's not three. I hope it's not longer than three months. God, six six months would be a nightmare. A year is unthinkable. No, it is. Once it's been a year. Yeah. No, I can't. Not even six months. Really. Yeah. yeah. I think it's three month chunks, and I reckon there'll be at least two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They were talking about a, a, a chunk and then releasing and then a chunk and then releasing again, weren't they? So maybe that is the plan. I don't know. We see. I, I guess we'll take the lead from these other countries because they'll be a little bit advanced to us. Um, I guess. Yeah. Time. Um, anybody else got a question for Mark? I've got one. So oh, I, I can imagine there's a lot of people sitting at home now dreaming about what they could be doing. Um, and I'm sure that's going to carry on over the next few months. Um, a few of those people are going to decide that they want to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, what advice would you have for anyone who's thinking of doing it after the COVID outbreak? Well, anyone who hasn't done a martial art, to which one yes. to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the mindset that they need to come into it with, uh, you know, what, you know, never, never, doesn't matter about the age range. What what should they expect? 
Well, I think we've got to go back to this idea of a martial art being a, a mental discipline uh, balanced with the physical training. Um, yeah. I think there's been a shift away from thinking about a martial art as a mental discipline amongst uh, the current generation. And that probably relates to what Dave said uh, about the different motivation in the sense that current uh, generation, there tends to be a, a material dominance in their thinking, uh, in the sense, not just money, but in terms of what's the obvious benefit of me doing this, i.e. people want to get fit, they want to get a sick back, they want to yeah. be children. Oh, martial art is this going to help me self-defense or is this going to help me uh um kick someone in the head or hard or whatever do these flash moves like in the movies i mean don't get me wrong that was always there 20 years ago but i think 20 30 years ago there was also an awareness that a martial art was a mental discipline it was, it was something that uh you did in order to uh chase the ideals of, of manhood as it were this self-reliance self-discipline doing as you're told those were the traditional kind of in terms of an eastern martial art though those were the traditional kind of ideals well but in, I our, don't in think... our culture we, we we have no coming of age ceremony do we and that probably ties in quite heavily you know people need to achieve something physical as a, as a as a man you know without 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 dipping too far into the masculinity <laughs> subject obviously but um they get whipped when they get a first stripe, then they're a man. Yeah, when you feel that pain on your back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they need they need that physical challenge, and a lot of other sports can serve that as well. Uh, I suppose the difference with a martial art is um, the immediacy. This is the difference. With sport, with other sports, you can get physically tested in rugby. Uh, you can get physically tested in tennis. Uh uh, but all of these sports, they use metaphors of fighting. You know, tennis players will say, yeah, I really smashed that shot in. And uh, yeah, I, I really beat him up. They, all other sportsmen, they use the metaphor of a fighter. And the reason they do that is because combat sports has got something none of those other sports have got. And it's that it can end at any time. <laughs> You can get KO'd or submitted at any time. So the yeah. difference is the immediacy which a combat sports has got. And that, what that means is, that, and that does come down to the psychological quality. Because of the immediacy with which a fight can end, you need to be 100% on the ball every second. Whereas with football, with rugby, even though they've got the football element, uh, physical element, uh, you, your mind can drift a bit every second or two when the ball's at the other end. Uh, even with tennis, they have their breaks and you can uh, mentally collect yourself. But with a fight, with the combat sports, once that bell starts, you have got to be on the ball 100%. Otherwise, you're getting, you could get finished and it could be painful. So okay. the difference is, with the rites of passage with a combat sport, what you're saying is, it is that physical and that mental combination of you need to, the concentration needs to be total, plus you need that physical discipline of, you know, a fight is very physically stressful uh, and yeah. the pace of it can be very fast. So you need to be 
very physically fit in all those free energy domains. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that, that is the rites of passage of combat. All the combat sports offer that. Um, I would have my bias towards the striking arm simply because the pace of the fight is generally faster and because the immediacy of the knockout is more probable. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, Jensen, I'm busy. I'll be with you in five minutes, okay? Yes, in a minute, okay? Well, got an the, iPad. I reckon the, the, the pressure of the COVID lockdown has hit the Chen household already. Um, so I think... We're going to not put you through any more pain. And what we're going to do is actually we're going to have Mark back on because um, Mark's got some really interesting um, ideas, opinions about um, masculinity. So we're going to talk about that. And I think that's going to be really interesting to a lot of uh, people that do combat sports, um, whether they're questioning their own. <laughs> or yeah, it's you're going to make me cry, Mark, next time. Something whether, they, uh, <laughs> whether they're trying to uh, find out where their uh, masculinity lies. So um, right. we're going to get you back on for that, Mark, and that's going to be brilliant. On yeah. Monday, can someone remind me who we got on on Monday? Um, on Monday, we got a good friend of mine, actually, um, a historian um, and happens to be uh, BJJ Black Belt and um, an entrepreneur, a businessman, um, uh, Dan Lewis, um, he's a black belt under Nick Brooks. He's going to come on a Monday and we're going to just talk uh, about all things um, COVID situation, a little bit of politics, a little bit of cannabis. I know he is a connoisseur of uh, so we're going to have a discuss on all these sorts of things. Uh, if you've got a question for uh, Dan, please post up your question um, either on his page, St Albans BJJ, um, his his BJJ team page, or on the lockdown uh, Facebook page. Uh, post up your questions to ask, and any future questions for Mark Chen, because we're going to have Mark back on the show. Um, very soon uh, and catch up with him about um, about his, his other ideas. So thank you very, very much for coming on tonight, Mark. We, Thanks, was, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. Super Welcome. interesting. Thank uh, you. you can tell you're an absolute expert in the, in the subject field and um, and it's absolutely been a pleasure. Thank you very much, mate, for coming hey. on. Welcome. All right, guys. Look See forward to having you Cheers, on again. Mate. And yeah. uh, Thank you, fellas. Thank you, George. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you, Adam, for um, asking your questions. They were a great set of questions. And uh, we will see you on Monday. So no podcast over the weekend. Monday night, we will be here with Daniel Lewis. And we've got a week of guests. Nick Brooks, Daniel Lewis, uh, Jeff Ippon Lawson. Uh, Cornell Flyter is going to give us a conspiracy theory special for all you conspiracy theorists out there or you haters, whatever. We don't really care. You either listen or you won't. So um, <laughs> look forward to that and uh, we'll see you or you can hear us on Monday. Catch you then. Ciao. Right. Ciao. Yeah. Ciao. Ciao.